Well, the congregation, I would ask you to please turn your very prayerful attention to that portion of Holy Scripture that I read to you in your hearing there in the Gospel of Matthew and the sixth chapter. And this evening, I want to consider three verses in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. And what we have before us is a sort of a little parable of the eye and the importance of the eye and how the, the eye speaks of the condition of the human heart. The eye is very indicative of what is going on inside us. The eye says so much of what we allow our eyes to do, and I'm saying here, first of all, as Christians, what Christians allow their eyes to do will have a great influence on the life. The tongue also is an important member which yet James reminds us of. It's such a small member of the body. But what great damage the tongue can do. But friends, what great damage the eye can do also. These very small and seemingly insignificant members of our body. And while we look at this parable, I want to address the unbeliever, the unsaved this night. And I pray that God might shine light and truth into your heart, that he might regenerate your heart and bring you to a knowledge of the Savior, that he might quicken you, that he might grant you repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might believe upon him, and that you might be shown the importance of the eye. And there's a great teaching here. If you look at what we just sang in that hymn 504, in gospel hymns, we sang, Each object we beheld gave pleasure to our eyes, and nature all our senses held in bands of sweet surprise. But pleasures more refined awaited that blessed day. That was the day we were quickened, when light arose upon our mind and chased our sins away. And we come to this text on the light of that, in light of that verse. There the hymn writer is reminding us of the things that we beheld before we were saved. How the vanities of this world captured our hearts and our attention. How we live for this present world that is passing away. But now, when God has shone into our hearts, he gives us eyes to see things that we've never seen before. We thought this morning, didn't we, in 2 Kings chapter 6, how Elisha prayed that the Lord might open that young man's eyes to see things that were there that he just couldn't see before. And he beheld a great host of people, the army of the Lord, chariots of fire and horses of fire. And we come here to verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. 
Verse 24 is connected to verse 23 and 22. What has gone before? He applies how we live to what we see, to what we behold with the eye. So really we could say in these verses we have the the parable, a parable in just three short verses, a very short parable. The eye, it's so important. But you know there are spiritual eyes and there are worldly eyes. There are things that men behold. Very intelligent men have walked this earth. We think of men like Albert Einstein, who could tell us all kinds of laws of science. A very clever man with a very high IQ. But that man really was spiritually blind. Very prominent men and movers and shakers in this world, in the business world, intelligent people. But they are, we could say, spiritually blind. Short-sightedness, long-sightedness, blurred vision. We know of these things. If the eyesight is not right, it's true, isn't it? Just in a natural sense. In a natural state, think of somebody, how he needs the body to function properly. Now I know when we think of blindness, for instance, somebody that is suddenly struck with blindness, how they struggle to get around. Now I know that blind people have to learn various ways of getting around. They learn by feel and touch, don't they? But here may be somebody that is struck instantly with blindness. The hand can't function properly. The feet can't function properly. Without sight, the hand needs to know exactly what the distance is to be able to touch that object. Some things can seem so far away and we don't function. The eye is such an informing faculty of the body, isn't it? We wouldn't deny that. And things that we see keep us from danger, don't they? You see a road. You see a road sign. You see children, that sign of children crossing the road. You slow down in the car because you know that there are children perhaps at a school nearby. Or you see the traffic lights. You go through a red traffic light. Well, it could mean your death. The sight is so important. But of course, attached to the eye is the heart, isn't it? When I'm speaking here in terms of spiritual things, Look at what he says here. Notice the words, If the light of the body is the eye, if therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, many people have tried to criticize the King James Bible here, the authorized version. But actually, the Greek is spot on. The eye is evil here. Of course, not the actual physical eye. But what did I say a moment ago? The heart is connected to the eye. And therefore, the eye responds to what the heart desires, doesn't it? Do you think of of Job? What did Job say? I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above? And what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Job was a married man. And he knew it was terribly sinful to lust after another woman. Therefore, he said he made a covenant with his eyes. You see, it's what the heart gives way to, 
The heart, uh, as it were, the eyes say to the heart, let me sin. And the heart says, go for it. Have your sin. Drink it down as much as you want. Take this. Eat this. It's yours. You can have it. It's yours to enjoy. The eye also, though, it informs the body where you're going. And hands see, as I said, because of the eye. But the eye is a very important member of the body. Without the eye, we can't reach out, we can't do anything. But here, in the spiritual sense, it is too. And it's what the natural man allows his eye to see. Of course, by his heart. It's the heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the heart says to the eye, go ahead and engage in this practice, in that practice. And so here, I want to think of this parable of the eye. We sang there how much pleasure we took in this world, those of us who were Christians before we were saved, how these things delighted our hearts. But until true spiritual sight came, and we began to see this world for really what it is, that it's an empty system that cannot satisfy the soul, but especially this world sins against God. And for this sake, the Apostle Paul says, the wrath of God is coming because of the sinfulness of this world. And God hates sin, and therefore I must hate sin. Now, the eye. Notice he says, if thine eye therefore be single. He means, in a sense, the Greek word here is steady or steady aimed. There's no blurred vision. Now, blurred vision can be as bad as blindness, in a way, can't it? It's just as dangerous, blurred vision. That's deceptive. We think of the young men, don't we? There in Dothan, the Syrian army, how they were completely led into the city of Samaria. Their vision was blurred. They couldn't see straight. They could see, but it was blurred. Everything was confused. And that's how we are born in this world. We're not born with a single eye. We don't see things clearly. There is a spiritual blindness. There's a deceptiveness of the heart. You see, the heart says one thing. The light of the body, lotus, is the eye. The eye, as I said, is that informing faculty. And notice, if thine eye be evil, verse 23. And as I said, the King James Version, the authorized version, is absolutely correct. The ESV and all these modern translations say, if the eye be sick. No, but it's actually evil. It's evil because the heart is evil. We have wrong desires, completely wrong desires. We're born with evil in the heart. The problem is the eye doesn't want to see certain things. It quite likes the blurred vision. It's quite happy with blurred vision. In fact, we'll speak about various aspects of the evil of the heart. But let me just show you that this term here, Evil eye is found many times in the Old Testament. For instance, in Deuteronomy 28. And the whole context of Deuteronomy 28 is how God will bring woes upon the people of Israel if they disobey him, and how the whole of the society in which they live in will continue to spiral in iniquity. 
how there will be evil, even in families. Mothers against children, fathers against children, the whole society, corrupt leadership. That's what we have in this world. Deuteronomy 28, 54, So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave, so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children. You see, he has an evil eye. He says, what I have is for me. What, I must, what, I've, what I've earned, I'll look after number one. I won't take care of my children. I won't honor God. I won't live out the royal law of God. I live for number one. Is that not the society of this world today? Having an evil eye? What's mine is my own, the world says. And what's yours is mine. That's what many, sadly, married couples say. What's yours is mine and what's mine is my own. That's a sad truth, isn't it, today? You have people with separate bank accounts who are married. That should never be the case. When the two are one, they are one flesh. But that's society today. And this was part of God's judgment upon a wicked nation, Israel, an evil eye. And then you have it also in Proverbs 23, 6. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. In other words, there's the stingy man. He's got you sitting down at the table, but he actually wants something from you. And you're going to be beholden to him. The Bible warns us to beware of such people. Wisdom is teaching us the man that has a greedy eye don't sit at his table. Because actually he's giving you food so that he can get something out of you in the end. This is the sense. Notice there, the evil eye. Because it is connected to an evil heart. That's the teaching of Scripture. As I said in Matthew 6, the ESV, it says the eye is the lamp of the body. And then we read on, if thy eye is bad. The eye is not just bad, as the ESV puts it. It's thoroughly evil. Because it is connected to an evil heart. It's not just partly bad. By nature, this is how a man is. He is born with a sinful and a wretched and a self-serving heart. That's the heart of every one of us by nature. And we, we see, we're going to speak about various forms of blindness. This is spiritual blindness here, but he says, if thine eye be single, if it's steady aimed, for God, for the glory of God. That's a saved soul. Now, there are various forms, aren't there, of spiritual blindness. Remember, the Lord Jesus accused the Pharisees, and he was right, of course, the Lord Jesus never wrong, of being, they were the blind leading the blind. They were teaching all kinds of things, weren't they? Obey this law, that law, they're adding to the law of God, piling law upon law upon the law of God and making the law void through their vain traditions. They were the blind. They didn't see that actually they were breakers of the law. They were so blind. They thought they were the keepers of the law and to make it worse, they added on top of the law their own laws, completely obliterating 
the proper use of the law. And they neglected the weightier matters of the law. They gave tithes of everything, but they had no love. If a man had an animal that was dying in a ditch, they'd say, oh yes, you can take the the animal out. But if somebody was crippled, and the Lord Jesus healed that man on the Sabbath, but they wanted to put him to death, he was showing such kindness to a man. They were the blind leading the blind. And the Pharisees, all they could care about was washing the hands on the outside, but he said inwardly, they're filthy. They were blind. But there is, we could say, spiritual short-sightedness. We know this, I suppose, and I'm not claiming to be an expert in optometry or anything like that, but there's that condition which we call myopia, short-sightedness. But there is a spiritual short-sightedness, my dear friends. And many people are like this. They view life in short terms. What's in it for me to serve God? We have it in the book of Job. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And they think, well, if I become a Christian, I'm going to become a slave. How short-sighted. They say, I'm not going to have a life. Well, my friends, is it life to be entangled with this world and to be in bondage to this world? Is that life? But to be in Christ is to be set free from this world, to be saved, and to serve him. When the Son of God came into this world, what did he say? I am come that they may have life, and life abundant, abundant life. And what he does, you see, when he, he saves a soul, it's, it's by the work of his grace, by his Spirit, showing you that you are undone under the law, and that he, he dies for his people, he lived for them and he died for them. And my, realizing all that he did for me as a sinner, melts my heart into loving service for him. That's what it is to be a Christian. You see, some people just don't understand. They think, well, being a Christian is, uh, well, it's just, there's no, there's no gain. Well, there's great gain in being a Christian. Your life is cleaned up. Let me put it to you this way. I know I've used this illustration before. There's a father, and he has a very rebellious son. And, uh, well, he just doesn't know what to do with that son. And he knows that son has seen a picture in the shop window. And that son, every time they pass by that shop window, he says, Dad, I'd love that picture. It's just beautiful. Look at it. So the father sits and thinks, I can't get this boy to tidy up his room. He's just so disordered in his life. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll buy that picture and I'll put it in his room. And that boy looks at that picture every day. He gazes at it. And then he looks around. He says, what a mess. What a mess my bedroom is. So he he suits his bedroom to that frame of that picture. And that's the Christian life, you see. The Christian life is just that. 
when you realize that the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, left heaven's glory to come into this sinful world. You say, how can I live in this mess any longer? How can I live in this pigsty? How can I speak like this? How can I live like this? How can I treat people like this? How can I continue to live for number one? You see, there's no more short-sightedness in the life now. You're living for him, for heaven, for glory, for God. People have a very short-sighted view of heaven. They're not single-minded. They're blurred. They think this world is everything. And they, they occasionally have a little bit of a read of God's word. And they think they're a Christian. And their, their thoughts of what a Christian really are, really not what a Christian is. They have a very dim view. They have a very blurred view of what it is to be a Christian. You have double vision. I mean spiritual double vision. Have you met a real Christian? Do you understand what makes him or her tick and think? Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what it is to be a Christian. Single-eyed, not blurred vision, not short vision. This world is passing. Time is short, isn't it? But what about long-sightedness? We think of that, don't we? We these are all forms of various kinds of blindness, but people can, can suffer spiritually with these things. Oh, you, you can see something afar off, but you, you can't look in here. Well, maybe it's the other way around. You're too introspective, but you're not looking far and beyond. The vision is not clear. The vision must be right. But also blind vision, blind spots, we could say. People suffer with that. You know, they, I've met many a people, person, they're trying to concentrate, they've they got their mind on some portion of the scripture, and, and they just can't get their head out of that. And that becomes a stumbling block for them. Very often the problem is they haven't dealt with other sins, other areas of the life, and that is making them blind. Because of the blindness of their hearts. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of this concerning the Pharisees, of the blindness of their hearts. And people can have blind spots and you're not aware of your own sin in your life. We all can be like that. Let me say the Christian can be very guilty of that. Blind spots. Or perhaps you may even judge other people. And you don't fully understand, you don't fully comprehend what is going on? You know, in this very chapter, it's important I give a little bit of context here. In Matthew 6, what is the Lord Jesus doing? He's dealing actually with the blind Pharisees, their hypocritical teaching, how they loved, first of all, you notice in Matthew 6, 1, how they loved to give their arms before men. Because for them it was all about short-term gain. It was all about the praise of men. And he says, does he not... Be careful. Take heed that you do not your arms or your charitable gifts 
before men, to be seen of them. That that's, was the vision of the Pharisees. And they forgot that was a, there was an all-seeing God who not only saw what they did and why they did it, but they knew, they, did, they forgot that he, he knows the motive of the heart. And so he touches on three areas of the, of the life. What you do, you're giving. There are many people, when you ask them, what is a Christian? They say, well, it's a good person. And they love to give good gifts. And the reason is because it makes them feel good. Not for the glory of God. And when they give, they they like to tell other people. I've done this charity run. I've done that. Well, they have their praise. They have the praise of men. They have no reward with God. Because it was a life of pride. A life of self-gratitude. Rather than pleasing God. My friends, people can be so short-sighted. And what they're doing... They laying up treasure here on earth, the praise of men, but they have no reward of Almighty God in heaven who sees everything. No reward. And there are others, he says, even when you pray, he says, go into your closet and pray. Pray to your Father which is in heaven. He hears those prayers. He knows the secret life of the person. If you pray to him, he will reward openly. And even these Pharisees, when they fasted, what did they do? They covered their faces with ashen, so it looked like they were starving to death. And they were very sick. But he says, no, rather you, when you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you truly are a follower of God, you go and wash your face. Don't make it even look as if you are fasting. Because there's so much propensity in the human heart, isn't there? To please the flesh to please others, and to have the praise of men. That's anti-religion. That's short-sightedness. That's living for God or or for, for, for this world and supposedly living for heaven, but you're not really living for heaven. You profess to be a Christian, but you're a lost person. You see, it's so important. The apostle says, see to it that you walk circumspectly. See, see the vision. See to it. Make sure you do it. What you see to be right, take heed to it. So, if thine eye be single, and what is referred to here is the conversion of the heart, the soul that is saved. And this begs the question, where is your heart? Because as he says in this chapter, Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Is it in heaven? What have you been living for? God's smile, God's praise, God's approbation, or men's praise? It's a very telling thing, isn't it? Luke 11, 35, he says, Take take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. My friends, if it's not clear light that you're seeing, if you're not seeing things clearly, if you're allowing to go, and, and you, you, you think, he says here, that the eye is evil. What you allow yourself to see, to behold. Let me say this. As Job said, I've made a covenant with mine eye. Why? So that you don't sin. 
Because sin is the great problem. Sin wrecks the life. You know, many marriages have been destroyed by men's eyes and women's eyes. And it's terrible. The world, you think of it, this whole world is set on fire by the eyes of Eve and Adam in the garden as they beheld what was forbidden them. What you allow your eyes to see, friends, says so much about your heart. It's really the heart that controls the eye, doesn't it? We don't say, well, the eye is just wandering, it's just wandered off here, but it's in the heart. It is what is connected to the heart, the eye. And just as the tongue, what comes out of the tongue, tells you what's in the heart. Now there, you must gauge what's in your heart, as I must gauge what's in my heart. When other people watch you in the church and they see how you behave around women and men, it says a lot, doesn't it? says a lot about whether you love God or not, whether you love holiness, whether you love righteousness. Because remember what the Lord Jesus said, except your righteousness surpasses the righteousness or exceeds or excels the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the Lord Jesus is not teaching there that you earn your salvation. But he is saying that when God saves a soul, there's a change in the life. There's a fundamental change. And it's called the new birth. The heart is changed. The affections are changed. Everything is changed. The language is changed. The person is, of course, the person is changed. You can't say to me, a person's changed, and he speaks like the man on the street. He thinks like the man of the world. You can't tell me you're saved, my friend. Make the tree good. And the fruit will be good. It's a lesson to us all, isn't it? The God of heaven is speaking from his word tonight. And he speaks of the eye. And notice the connection, for where your treasure is, verse 21, there will your heart be also. He's speaking about laying up treasures in heaven or on earth. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. He's saying the eye and what you allow to behold will change the body. If you allow sinful things to enter through your eyes, You will be a sinful person, increasingly. The Apostle Paul says, in Romans 6, we are not to let our members, the members of our body, rule us, but rather we put into subjection our members. Now, one of the things of the Spirit, when God saves us, the Spirit teaches us, my friends, self-control. I'm sick and tired of hearing men say, I can't help my wandering eyes. Well, you better help them. You better deal with them or you will burn in hell forever. The Lord Jesus said, if thine eye cause thee to sin, pluck it out. He didn't mean literally, but he said, you better deal with that sin. Because if you don't, it proves that you have a wretched, unsaved heart. If thine hand 
cause thee to offend, cut it off. Do what it takes. You see, the Christian life is ruthless. It is a life of single eyed and steady aim to please God. The old Puritans had it right, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Now here's the question, who are the real Christians? And maybe this verse, your eyes expose who you are. Your tongue exposes who you are. You feel yourself to be helpless. Good. But at least I've exposed religious hypocrisy. Only God can deal with that. This is why Nicodemus said, the Lord said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. That is what is needed. I remember hearing that. And I knew I was brought to conviction that I was a lost man. And I began to pray and ask God to forgive me of my sin. My evil heart. And by and by, God helped me to be more honest with myself. More gentle toward others. Start to judge myself. Look in my own heart. If there was evil there. David said, search me and try me. And see if there be any unclean thing. Have you prayed that, friend? Have you gone home and prayed? Oh God, search me. And try me. And see if there be any unclean thing in me. And you know what? You continue to pray that. If the Lord saves you, you must realize this. You'll never be perfect. But it's never an excuse to sin, my friend. The Christian will continue to cry out. As David did, thou hast searched me. Past tense. Thou hast known me. My friend, let me say this. God never turns away the truly penitent heart. He never does. But he despises the duplicitous heart. The one that is always ready to criticize others, but sees no sin in himself. That was the Pharisee. And this is why the Lord warns here. Very solemn, isn't it? He says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body is full of light. More light will come in. But you see, it's about a single eye. It's about a single heart, really. A single eye speaks of a single heart. James speak, speaks of what is called in the Greek the dipsukos, the double-souled man. Unstable in all his ways. He reads the word of God but comes back and forgets what manner of man he really is. And there are so many who are self-deceived. Double-minded. Blurred vision. My friend, do not have short vision when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. Do not have short or long vision when it comes to your own sin, as I must not. Sin lurks in the hearts of every one of us. But thank God he forgives sin. As the penitent sinner comes and seeks and sues for God's mercy on account of his dear son, 
the Lord Jesus. But notice, here's the warning. Verse 23, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. There's nothing worse than a self-deceived soul. And eyes think that they're in the kingdom, but they're actually in the kingdom of darkness. It's easy to think, because we're sat here, that we're in the kingdom of heaven. But we don't behold, sing at eyelidly. We don't take God's word in for ourselves. We listen out for somebody else. We're saying, this is a sermon so-and-so needs to hear, but not me. My friends, that is typical of the human heart. You and I are here to listen out for our never-dying souls. And look at the warning, verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? You can have such light in you, just the mere knowledge of the truth, but it's actually become darkness. Because you become dull of hearing. That you think, but by merely hearing, you have received the truth. And there's nothing worse. You can receive the light of the truth of God's word. But it bears no effect upon your soul. And that is darkness. In its most dangerous form, isn't it? And this is why he says in verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And let me say, you can be even engaged in Christian service. There will be many that will say, Lord, Lord, we did this in thy name, that in thy name. And he will turn around and say, Depart from me, I never knew you. When we go to do something good, he says, don't be as the hypocrites who publicize it all over the internet and all over Instagram and WhatsApp and Facebook. What you do, do for God and do for his glory. Mindful of your wicked heart and my wicked heart of its propensity to boast and to take pride in selfish, self-centered religion. God deliver us from that. May we have a single eye to please one person. That is Almighty God. And of course, when we please God in the right way, we will show the true Christian life. We will show to others that we don't live for the praise of men, but for the praise of God. And in fact, we don't even do it for the praise of God. We do it for his glory. The Lord Jesus who left heaven for his people. He left the praise of the angels to be scorned, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be buffeted on account of his people. And last of all, even to be abandoned by his disciples. 
But thank God, he did it for love. And his reward is what? His people. The reward of Christ, me, a terrible sinner. But it's not what I am, friends. But it's what I shall be one day, by the grace of God. When my life is over, I'll be done with this evil eye and this evil heart. If I am the Lord's, if you are the Lord's, we shall be with Christ forever. May we have a single eye for him, who came and who had one single determination when he came to this world. And he said, I've come to do the will of my Father. And what is that will? That he should lay down his life for his people. That he should die for their sins. And he should earn for them a righteousness that they could never earn. And my friend, that ought to take all pride and boasting and hypocrisy from our lives. When you consider him. And even when you're persecuted. When you're persecuted, humbly remember that he was persecuted too. And take no pride in your persecution. Don't even boast about it. Don't even tell others about it. Be careful, because even in that, we can take much pride, can't we? But let us rather rejoice if we are persecuted for Christ's sake, knowing that ours is the kingdom of heaven, because he has put his spirit in us, that we should be single-eyed and steady-aimed at his glory, and not for our own glory in this short life. And may we find our joy with God. May we know his approbation and his smile upon our lives. And may that be enough to content us in this short life, friends. Surely, that's all you need, isn't it? All you need is Christ's approval. If you want men's approval, you'll have it. But you'll not have God's at the same time. You cannot serve God and mammon. Amen.